This is your podcast for all things refinishing. I'm Lane Ball with Zebras Before and After. Welcome to episode 183. Always really check your piece thoroughly, inside and out, underside of the drawers, inside of the drawers, because you never know where something's hidden. Today we are revisiting our interview from season three with Mayor of 100,000 Welcomes as we discussed a newer segment on our podcast called If This Piece Could Talk, learning all about the history of your pieces and enjoying the interesting items found in them that are often clues to the past. We have a great conversation with Marissa of She Flips Canada as we discuss what she found in a recent piece of furniture and what she discovered about her piece. Sarah with Olive and Fern shares how to keep your refinishing passion alive and creative and the importance of contracts in this week's refinishing tip. In our question of the week, furniture refinishing friends Anne Michelle with Amini Design Ashburn, Ava with Ecostena, Summer with Pinewood Charm, and Chloe with Chloe Kempster Design share what interesting items they have found in their old furniture pieces. Autumn with Prayed Over Pieces gives accolades to Walesa with A Life Refurbished. Stay with us friends, we have the inspiration, fun, and community that will platform your day. One of the fascinating aspects of furniture refinishing is that it usually involves locating old pieces of furniture that have history, stories that need to be heard but are often buried with the past. We want to learn about the history of your pieces, like when was it made, who made it, and the personal stories by those who owned them. Today we have the privilege to speak with someone who loves history and thoroughly enjoys the process of uncovering not just the original wood grains and structure of a piece, but all the wonderful details that allow the piece to be rediscovered and enjoyed for many more generations. We have been very excited about our new segment, If This Piece Could Talk, and we are thrilled to have Mayor with 100,000 Welcomes on today to kick off what we hope to be a very inspiring and interesting segment on our podcast. Hi, Mayor. It's great to have you on today. Hi, Lane. It's great to be here. Mayor, when we decided to launch this new segment, you were one of the first refinishers that came to my mind um, that I'm aware of that really makes the effort to dig into the history of your pieces so you can learn the stories and keep them alive, passing them on to others. We hope to learn that there are many more refinishers out there like you and that others will be inspired to take the time to find out about their refinishing pieces or their refinished pieces. Have you always been a history buff? I, yeah, actually, I have. Maybe not in school, <laughs> but <laughs> but past that, I think I'm kind of always feel as though I'm an old soul. So I love to uh, I love anything classic and um, actually old. I don't know. I'm just drawn there. When I read, I love to read historical fiction. I'm drawn to classic movies, things like that. So um, it all kind of tied into to the the furniture aspect as well. Absolutely. Well, maybe the school aspect of it, you didn't like to be forced into history. You wanted to have the freedom to, <laughs> to enjoy That's right. it on your own. It, and, and when you when you put a little bit of a story, when you think of it as a story, it's much easier to remember or connect with, I guess. Absolutely. Well, when we talk about the story of a piece, we um, basically are thinking in terms of two areas, one being the time period of when the piece was made or manufactured. And with that, was the piece manufactured in a furniture plant or was it handmade? 
there's a lot to dive into with that. But the second is any interesting stories about a piece. Now we're talking sentimental things like who was the previous owner and what we can learn about them in relation to the piece. Let's start with discussing tips that refinishers can use to determine the time period and if it was manufactured or handmade. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, of course. Yeah. So I always really check your piece thoroughly inside and out, underside of the drawers, inside of the drawers, because you never know where something's hidden, where possibly there's not only a maker's mark, but maybe, you know, there's some signage or anything that gives you a hint to the time period or, as you say, whether it was handmade, um, a lot of makers, whether they worked as a furniture uh, mm-hmm. maker themselves or whether they did that as a hobby, because it used to be a very popular hobby, they always want to sign their name to it. So I've found some neat markings, let's say. Definitely with mirrors, check behind the mirrors for the date. There's uh, oftentimes behind the mirror. So if you take the mirror off the um, wood backing, you might see a date. Other clues, obviously the maker's mark leads you to where and when it was made. And you can even go deeper into the maker's mark if you can research that because a lot of companies have been let's face it, around for 100 years or they were around for 100 years and things changed hands. So possibly it was two brothers or then and sons and then it was just a single name or um, you'll be able to find like what decade or era um, the piece was manufactured by the type of maker's mark because they changed as the times changed and as the business that business changed. Also, um, the type of joinery, you know, one of the fun finds that as refinishers, we all get so excited to find um, the pin and cove joinery or nap joints. They're that pretty scalloped dowel joinery that were like the precursor to the um, machine cut dovetails. There's also hand cut dovetails. You might see they are always easy to spot because they're very, they're not perfect. They're imperfect, but they mm-hmm. still work. Nail heads, you know, they're also imperfect. The, the earliest nails were made by blacksmiths. And I did a little research that said that uh, machine made nails were not made until the 1800s. So that's kind of when you find those square nail heads, which are kind of difficult to remove. <laughs> they, don't, they, they don't come out too easily, but um, you know you've got a real old piece. So yeah, they, they didn't think about uh, somebody a couple hundred years later or 300 years later take, you know, fool it with their piece. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. I know. I don't know that. I have had some square nail heads. I'm not convinced that it's like, you know, that old, you know, at least 200. You're right. But now we're in in 2021. So (laughs) that's getting, um, get time's getting away from me. Um, Let's see. What else? Sometimes you see, like we talked about in the dovetails, there's asymmetry. Um, you can also find that, and not that the leg the leg length differs, but if you have a piece with like turned legs or they might not be exactly the same, they might not look exactly the same if they were hand turned or hand carved. So that's always fascinating. But they're you know functional. Um, the carvings on pieces, like when you get an East Lake piece, like we just talked about, they're 
typically that the East Lake pieces have the pin and cove joinery. Also in the front, there the beautiful door fronts or um, cabinet door fronts have the spoon carvings. They look mm-hmm. like little flowers sometimes. They're actually done by by spoons. That's kind of neat to find too. Definitely handmade. You know, some other things are the type of types of woods that were used. So originally, you know, people used what is their what was in their area where, you know, it's kind of hard to transport wood to make furniture out of. So you kind of use like mainly oak was very early wood. And then in the 1800s, we were able to get cherry and a little later than that, mahogany came into play. So Hmm. um, that kind of can give you some clues as to your decade and or your century, actually. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, also, we talked about mirrors a little bit. So you see those mirrors with, with character. That gives you a clue, too. They kind of, they can get that kind of, like, spotted look, which, you know, if you use, that's another exciting find, depending on what you want from your piece. Like, if you want to keep the character, that's perfect, you know. The beveled glass is always typically an older piece. Isn't that funny that... Uh that we get excited about all the imperfections that we see. And I'm yeah. sure that those uh, handcrafting furniture makers probably were frustrated that, I mean, they were probably hard on themselves thinking, man, I don't like, you know, I wish I could uh, be more refined or more precision. I mean, I'm sure that was their goal. Right. But for today we're like, Oh, all right. I just scored. I, I know. Something. I know. I can't believe this. Cause you always think, wow, this was made with, you know, so much, um, like blood, sweat, and tears, and like love, actually, you know, because you really yeah. had to love what you were doing, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So that's been amazing to um, think about when you find pieces like that, to think about the history behind it, for sure. And when, you know, as you're describing all of these things to look for, these specific signs, I would think that would be extremely beneficial when you're out as a refinisher looking for a piece and maybe you're at an estate sale or really anywhere. And if you really know these markings, then that's going to help you know the value of the piece on the front end. How much should I pay for this piece, even though I'm going to refinish it or maybe bring it back to life? um, It has more value because it is very old and was handmade. Yeah, exactly. It's very funny because obviously these pieces were made to last and, you know, you get such solid construction. So it's always worth the time. You know, even if you see something, you know, you at least want to, you know, give it a shot. You know, yeah. there's certain things that you, that you do pass by, but um, you're absolutely right. It really like kind of tugs at your heartstrings when you see, mm-hmm. you know, like those barley twist legs or the East Lake cabinets, things that kind of are near and dear to mm-hmm. your heart but and yeah. it's funny that you say this lane i have um well my brother's brother-in-law is a is a ca- cabinet maker and you know he's really just cabinets and you know um not only for the kitchen but different areas all areas of the home and you know he's so interested in in what i do and he'll say you know i i love that because i hope someone someday doesn't just pass over a piece by me you know i hope someone thinks yeah. enough of my work to say you know what this this is a beautiful piece of furniture so um that that kind of brings it like full circle a bit so yeah for sure let's go back to the maker's mark uh when you you know when we say the maker's mark whether that's uh, handcrafted in the the refinisher or not the refinisher but the furniture maker actually you know, indicated, um, you know, that it was handmade. Maybe they put their, signed their name. 
to the to a furniture uh, plant, right? That uh, maybe puts a stamp or brand. Have you found common places? You originally were talking about looking at drawers, looking the back. Is there typically a common place that they usually stamp or put their mark? Yeah, a lot of times on the back of a piece, which is unfortunate because I know um, I think most refinishers are very common. Um, place that we have to work on is the backs. A lot of times they need replacing. So I think sometimes they're lost, the very early pieces. Um, and a lot of times they were paper. So you might get half of a maker's mark or half of a label, but generally usually find them inside the top drawer. Sometimes they're a stamp and sometimes they're a, a plate. And as I said, the maker's mark from one company can change through the years, but that helps you pinpoint exactly what period of time they've come from. Are there any that you're aware of, are there any cleaning processes that uh, somebody could incorporate? Let's say that they've purchased an old piece and it looks to be pretty old to them and they are looking at the back of it, but the black has grunge. It's been Mm -hmm, exposed mm -hmm. to just years of dust and grime. You know, they want to find out. It's almost like taking a a canvas painting and sort of cleaning it up, but it's a delicate process. You got to know what you're doing. Is there anything that you recommend for people to clean on the back so that they do it almost in a, a tender way so that if there is anything there, they don't uh, destroy what, what was there? That's a good question. And um, basically, I think you can be very careful to go maybe around that spot of if there's markings, you can possibly tape off. And if you're sanding the back, you can make sure you sand around that. Generally, I do a lot of cleaning with the denatured alcohol, like a 50-50 mm-hmm. water mix. And that, if I'm in, I wouldn't go over paper with that, but that seems to take a lot of it off. Or as I said, you can protect it. Like, you know, some people spray the back of the pieces. Well, I'm using a spray gun, I'm saying. Mm-hmm. They, I've seen them like block it off with plastic tape around it so that remains any marking that there is. Um, but that's, that's past the cleaning, but you know, yeah, cleaning is a, if you have to use something, just be careful around that area. If that makes sense. Yeah. And I know also there are, sometimes you'll find a, um, maybe it's a label, an old label that was attached and, but it's, you know, maybe it's not even legible anymore. Um, but you want to be so delicate, even with that, I would imagine to try to see if there's anything, uh, that can be salvaged from, from an old label that's been damaged. Yeah, absolutely. There's been times where, you know, I've had to replace the backing on a piece and I've been so careful to remove that and I'll put it right back on. So it goes with it. Another trick is if you, if if the wood is still good, but you want to flip it around, maybe the backing mm. so that mm-hmm. label's still in there, um, obviously after cleaning. So I don't know. I'm just kind of sentimental that way. So <laughs> Yeah, well, that's good because you don't want to destroy something there that's a part of the history. You know, you were talking about the different manufacturers and how they go through even their their process of how they mark pieces changes over the years. It makes me think of North Carolina, which is where uh, where I'm living. Is you know North Carolina is known for several furniture manufacturing facilities, and especially High Point, North Carolina. It's actually known as the furniture capital of the world. 
And it's where they still have furniture markets take place there. People from all around the world come to the furniture markets to see what is uh, new and available. But it makes me want to be really aware of those companies that were around uh, that aren't around anymore. And it makes me more want to learn more about them, you know, and just yeah, to kind absolutely. of absolutely. That's a good place to start, too. I mean, if, if for anyone out there, if you know the town or where the manufacturer is from, but you're having trouble finding information, there's a lot of history. You know, the, the furniture industry helped really grow the town. So um, you can search the town and they'll tell you uh, how it was built up. Um, North Carolina comes to mind, Grand Rapids and Jamestown, New York. Um, mm. That at one point was also known the furniture capital of the world. So they might be they might be trying to um, battle it out with High Point, which I know is also the furniture capital <laughs> of the world. So <laughs> I think it surpassed Jamestown now, though. Yeah, it's a, it's okay to have a couple capitals. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> Okay, so another place that has been really helpful, um, I found if you're doing an internet search, if you describe your piece correctly, if you know the correct terms, whether it's a barley twist leg or say a Queen Anne leg, um, et cetera, that may lead you to a more distinctive search for your piece. Mm -hmm. You may get the more accurate information. And a funny thing is there have been a few times where I've been led to Pinterest and found the old furniture catalogs where your piece might be listed or you may find the manufacturer's old catalog and you say, oh, that's, that looks just like that was a part of that dining set, you know, that kind of thing. So that's been very interesting. So don't forget to check out Pinterest. Um, I think I've also talked about putting putting it out on, on your, your stories because people are great in responding to that. So that's been that's been great. I would have thought Pinterest. I mean, Pinterest is so visual, right? But I never yeah. would have thought that there would be old catalogs out there. But what a great resource. Yeah, so that the it is, it is. So someone is uploading that. And that's been so great in seeing your piece as it would have landed. A lot of mid-mod catalogs mm -hmm. um, are on there. But also on Pinterest or just on the Internet, I found some. Oh, here's a... Um, the the catalog from the you know 1890s and and mm -hmm. you know maybe whether it's like a Vermont made or Thomas Paine is an old one that comes to mind so um, an old maker that has been around and definitely put out the catalog so it's that's been a great resource so don't forget to check Pinterest uh, that's that's really neat well I think that uh, all the information that you have given has been really helpful and it just allows us to sort of dive in on the front end of this because we're going to have many more segments on this if this piece could talk. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll return to our interview with Mayor. Hi, this is Kate with Kate's Reclaimed and this podcast is sponsored by my friends at Zebra. My favorite brush, um, well, my favorite brushes, but I'll talk about my first favorite is the Palm Pro. And it's my favorite. It's very easy to use, to work with on any sort of piece of furniture that you would be painting. It's small, sleek, and it fits right into the palm of your hand. And the other brush that I have been gravitating towards lately is the is the fan brush. Um, I'm kind of using this one on smaller pieces with smaller surface area and more detail, but I'm really liking the fan brush as well. Zebra, you guys do a great job. Thank you for everything that you do for this community, and I hope everybody's having a wonderful day. 
Thank you so much, Kate, for sharing about your experience with Zebra Paintbrushes. We so value our customer friends. We want to deviate a little bit and go to that second area that we talked about on the front end. We just talked about manufactured or handmade and some tips there. But, you know, also uh, there's some interesting stories that personal stories that people have picked up when they purchased a piece. Maybe they purchased it from an individual and you can find a little bit about the piece and how long they had it or was it passed down from generation to generation. And uh, obviously there's a lot of merging that takes place about the personal and the historical about the manufacturing of the piece. Uh, but Mir, do you have tips on that as far as you know, the, finding out the personal information about the piece? I mean, I would definitely get any as, and as much information from the seller as possible. And um, a lot of times, you know, if you're supporting your local restore and buying your furniture there, that is a little more difficult, but you may be able to find, like sometimes I find um, moving stickers or still markings left over if the piece has been donated from an estate sale, you know, things like that. So always try to get the information from your seller for sure. You know, you can, you know, you can think about generalizations to a piece too. Like it doesn't have to be like, oh, I bet this was X. You can really say, hey, in this era, this was going on. You know, um, we know like the depression era, there's depression era furniture, you know, so we know how to identify them. So we know what those people were going through when they bought it. They have the beautiful like veneered fronts on um, maybe not as great of wood pieces, if that makes sense. So Mm -hmm. a lot of times what you find in the drawers might give you some clues. Like for me, I mean, I feel like every time I get a buffet, everyone stores their candles in there (laughs) because I'm (laughs) removing a lot of wax, you know? So (laughs) I think it was like a go-to or you figure, hey, a buffet's in the dining room and, you know, people used to entertain with candlelight dinners, you know, things like that. So that gives me a little bit of um, a clue into how it was used. Or was it just like, oh, we, we lost power. Let's get go to the drawer and get <laughs> right. the candles. You know, we know right where they are. There's been times I find photos or um, birthday cards or, or Christmas cards or even Christmas decor. And I think, oh, they probably really decorated this room, you know. Um, so that gives you a little bit of the, the personal side of this, I think. So definitely anything you find like that. Um, there's a, usually like buttons and little sewing kits. And, and I mean, these are things we typically find in there that um, in, in dressers or buffets or things like that, where, you know, oh, this was probably the mom's dresser because she has her little sewing kit or something like mm-hmm. that. I mean, those are things that come to my mind when you play like detective, you know, little clues. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, I often wonder if, especially on a dresser or buffet, you know, if you take the drawers out, you look up under the drawers and and then you look after you get all the drawers out and you look up under the, the bottom of the top of the piece. Cause I'm always thinking, you know, what if somebody stuck some money in a envelope and <laughs> taped it to the, t- you know, because people were hiding oh, things, you know, definitely noticing. waiting for that money envelope for sure. I can't <laughs> have you not wait. found one yet? <laughs> not yet. No, <laughs> not yet. <laughs> that would be so cool. Wouldn't it? I mean, uh, to be able to locate something like that. No, it really would. It really would. Our bills of sale are always really interesting to find. I have found things like that, maybe not for the furniture, but for other pieces that, you know, obviously that was where they kept their 
information or, um, you know, what's interesting, like warranties, you know, how you keep up, mm-hmm. um, when you get something, you keep that information all together. So yeah. So, you know, that, oh, this is the go-to in the, in the house. Like maybe it was, it wasn't a desk, but Hey, they didn't have an office, but they use that top drawer of the buffet or, you know, cabinet or something. So, yeah, you know, estate sales, I would assume are probably, you know, pretty good places to get uh, a lot of information. Have you found that to be true? Yes. I I think that the people that run the estate sales are really knowledgeable about what they're offering and they can give you some of the history to the piece. And, And I love that because you can actually see where the piece that you're getting spent its time. So you have a really good feel about it, if that makes sense. Um, a feel about maybe, and it may help you go uh, the direction of how you refinish it. I don't know, maybe it, yeah. it, it or, or you go in a total opposite direction, you know, we'll see. But, <laughs> yeah. um, yeah, so I also do, um, some online estate sales have become very popular in my area. So even though you don't really get, so the little blurb may give you a little bit of history, but you know, you always know because you go to the home to pick it up. So you kind of know, oh, they're selling, they're relocating or, you know, things like that. Or, oh, the family has become involved and, and this is what's left, you know, that, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. So. Um, yeah, those are great clues to where your piece spent its time, spent yeah. its lifetime. And, and then you move forward to where it's going to spend another lifetime. Yeah, absolutely. You know, a couple of years ago, we purchased a piece at a, an estate sale actually on the road that we live on. And it was a, a husband and wife and uh, the wife passed away. And then he passed away probably not maybe about a year after she did. And so my wife and I went down to the estate sale and we purchased a a smaller buffet. And, you know, one of the things that I haven't done yet, but I'm eager to do is now that we have that buffet, I'm in the process of, um, you know, refinishing it. But I really want to reach out to their kids because a couple of their kids still live on this street as well. And, uh, you know, just to find out, do you, what do you, what did you know about what memories do you have of the buffet? Cause it was in their dining room and, uh, I'm sure there's stories that they could tell, uh, and maybe they know when it was purchased or did somebody give it to them? You know, maybe it was given to their mom and dad as a wedding gift. You know, I mean, those are such yeah. interesting pieces of the story that, you know, and I, I would think that most people would welcome you coming to them. To getting that information because it's passing on their you know their family history yeah i agree i i really think that that's that they will be great resources for you and you're lucky that you know you kind of have a that relationship with them but um yeah as i said you do try to get as much information from the sellers that you can um, but you have a great opportunity for that you know so that's yeah. that's really interesting but yeah it does definitely help you especially a piece like you know you're keeping that buffet so when you keep a piece i maybe you even have stronger ties to wanting to yeah. know about where it came from but definitely so i definitely um when selling i do try to pass on as much information about the piece that I know about it to someone who's buying it from me. And I bet you when you share that with your customer, I bet they're like, oh, how cool. I bet I bet they're like, yeah. wow, what a neat yeah. thing to find out. 
Yeah, exactly. A lot of, you know, people are curious. I think if you are drawn to vintage and antique furniture, you know, I think people really are collectors or they, you know, curating and collecting for their home. They really want that as a conversation piece or, I don't know, just to know the heart of the piece, if that makes sense. So. Well, Mary, you, you have some interesting stories about a few of your pieces. Uh, why don't you share with those with us? Because I know that they will inspire our listeners. Yeah, thanks. I, I do love finding finds, if, so to speak. But, you mm-hmm. know, early on when I was refinishing, I had a piece and, you know, really needed a lot of work. It was a, a low princess dresser, a serpentine dresser, and um, it was definitely handmade. Um, and right across the bottom of one of the drawers was the maker signed his name and Jamestown, mm. New York and the date. And it was such a neat piece to find, which led me to researching Jamestown and how much the furniture industry was such an early part of their industry in their town. Um, I don't know that it is as much anymore, but back in the 1800s, it really was. So it, that was really interesting. I think that the last time I was on, I want to revisit talking about a secretary that I refinished that I do know from the seller that came out of the West Point Armory. Mm, that's so cool. And it had beautiful carved details. Um, I loved learning about that. And it was such a petite little piece that usually you picture the, the, the Jacobean with the carved pieces mm-hmm. to kind of be big and masculine, but this was just so petite um, and so unique. And when I took out the secretary insert, all the little, you know, the cubbies in the drawers mm-hmm. out came like a little tiny, if you could picture like Possibly it was a passport photo or, you know, when you go into a photo booth and you get that strip of a photo, a cute little, like a flapper girl in like a little bowler hat. And (laughs) just definitely from the 20s with the long pearls, things like that. And parts of her address book, which was so fascinating, you know, that beautiful penmanship that we don't see much anymore. Mm. So um, to me, I was able to get a real feel for that piece and um, definitely one that was very special to me. So I loved working on that one. I recently, a little more recently, I in New Hampshire at a thrift store found what the woman who owned the store was telling me, I think this is a desktop. And I could see why she thought that, but it was a little bit large. And I'm thinking, how is this, how is this a desktop? You know, it had the flap with the chain and it had four wooden wheels. And I'm thinking, wait, what are these, they, they, didn't seem like they would be very functional, but they were definitely worn down. And I was like, wow, does this have to do with maybe someone like a, you know, traveling salesman or something that that's all I could think of. And there was, I kept seeing stamped on there was, I thought it was PBM, but come to find out it was FBM after I got my glasses on (laughs) FBM 1927. So I'm like, okay, thinking it's someone's initials. I'm thinking it's someone's name, you know, like, was it 
if it was a desktop, was this some kind of like a, a teacher, like a traveling teacher or something like that? So come to find out, I was able to get, when I finally got that it was FBM, which I think off of stories, which is another, brings me to, like, I know I'm going to backtrack a little bit, but when people put things, put things out there on stories, I've had so much help from our wonderful refinishing community because they'll say, Hey, I know what that is. No, that's not a P, that's an F, you know, mm-hmm. or, um, Hey, I found this for you. So people are amazing like that. But anyway, so I was able to find out that that was a toolbox for a company that's actually still going strong and kind of responsible for the whole electrical infrastructure across parts of New England. They're, they're located out of Boston. So it was Fishback and more um, electrical wow. company. So yes, that's neat. So someone has that as a coffee table. We made a coffee table out of that. So they oh, love so to hear cool. about that too. Yeah. Now, when you find things like, <clears throat> let's say that you found, uh, well, for the photograph that you found, what do you do with that? I mean, because it's, it's, it's the part of the piece. Do you typically give that to the person or do you try to keep it? I mean, like, what do you do with yeah, it? Yeah, no. Okay. So a couple, um, well, I still have those little finds. I don't know. I, I did keep that. That piece was one of the few pieces that I shipped. So I did not have a lot of contact with my buyer, but most likely I would have, if I had met them in person, probably handed them over. But I don't know. That's like a little treasure that I did keep that time. I don't, I'm really, I still have it. And the last time we spoke, I, I dug it out, you know, <laughs> I have them in a specific desk drawer. Um, the f- funny thing about the toolbox where it was stamped, we had to replace the bottom of that. Um, mm-hmm. and that was kind of the, I, we kind of, the veneer, um, bubbled over. So when we scraped that off, we kind of made it into a square and we actually attached that glued in clamp that into the top of the piece. So that when you lift it up, you see that little squared stenciled area with the initials and the date, you know, we made two little squares out of it. So when you lift it, that's what you look at. So I wanted that to stay with the piece, even though it wasn't functional as is. So yeah, it's a challenge because, you know, when you find something, whether especially something that's not attached to the piece, like a photograph, yeah, you know, you really value the history of the piece. It's also a reminder for you of the piece that you worked on and not everybody that you sell the furniture to is necessarily inclined to be sentimental about the piece possibly. So you don't want to hand that off to somebody. They're really like, no, I didn't really want it. Yeah, that's true. You're, you're right about that. And I do <laughs> tend to be that sentimental old souls and maybe yeah. people just say, Hey, I want a nice desk. So I don't know, <laughs> Move but on. you know, I, I, I think collectors or people that I like to say that are drawn to this type of thing are mainly all in the same mindset, but you are absolutely right. So you run the risk of thinking you're passing on something valuable and then maybe they throw it out. I don't save everything, but I did save those few little pieces. So you're absolutely right about that. Well, you know, we've always encouraged refinishers to invest in some way to leave your mark or brand on your piece. Uh, We think this further advances the significance of the refinishing industry and emphasizes value, but we also would encourage refinishers to look at creating your own information card or sheet, sharing the history of your piece that you can pass on to new owners. You know, imagine how exciting for new owners to learn about their new piece and its history. And actually that, you know, maybe that's a situation where you copy the photograph that you found and put that in that document that you give them. 
Um, or if they're really attached and they really want to, they're very sentimental, then maybe it's included with it. Yeah, uh, that's, that's a perfect, that's such a, a great idea. And as I said, I usually have a lot of face-to-face contact with people that are buying from me. So I'm, I'm always passing on information to them. And a lot of them say, hey, what do you know about this piece? You know, that kind of thing. So I'm definitely always passing on that information. But now I agree with you. I know that refinishers have care cards and mine is kind of like a blank card that I handwrite in my, you know, um, information on how to care for the piece. And if mm-hmm. there's anything special, I generally will jot it down there. Like, oh, your piece is, this piece came from the West Point Armory or something. Mm-hmm. If there's mm-hmm. something that I want to pass on, I will. But I think I really love your idea of, of incorporating that somehow that stays with the piece. So I'm going to be doing that for sure. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it, I would imagine too, it's easy enough to like, because a lot of people say, well, I don't know specific. I can't nail down the specific dates, but if you've done the research and you can always, the way you state the history, you can say things like, you know, based on the research that I've done, it appears that the piece was built or handmade in the late 1800s, roughly, you know, so that at least it gives people an idea of the, of the time you know, the timeline of when the piece was made, or I would think you could even have a lot of fun with it and say this came out of a, the, you know, the Smith home. And yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. You imagine it was, in, it was a buffet in their dining room and you, and they had four kids. Imagine the, yeah. you know, the laughter or <laughs> yes. whatever, you know, just to really enhance the personality of the piece and the history of the piece. So, um, I agree. That's, that's a great way to do it, to even make it seem so much more meaningful to the person who's who's buying it yeah definitely this has been so much fun mary you have definitely inspired me and i know you have inspired others with your knowledge and experience boy if these pieces could talk what would they say well we are doing (laughs) everything we can to give them that chance exactly thanks mary we look forward to having you back on thanks so much lane this has been great As we continue our focus on the history of your pieces today, we wanted to bring Marissa with She Flips Canada on the podcast to share a little about her love for finding interesting items in her old furniture pieces, as well hear her talk a bit about her recent finding and her simple yet effective research to discover more behind the piece she was working to refinish. Hi, Marissa. Nice to have you on Zebras Before and After. Hey, thanks so much for having me. So we recently saw that you commented on an IG post regarding the history of furniture pieces. And I reached out to you because we have an interest in that as well here on the podcast. Our segment, If This Piece Could Talk, is all about what refinishers find in their pieces and any history that they learn. So just to put things in context, Marissa, how long have you been refinishing furniture? I have been refinishing furniture for my own household for so long. (laughs) Um, And once I realized that I have nothing left here to paint, um, I think it was just before Christmas, I picked up a bedroom set that I had the intention to purchase and flip for a profit. Okay. Now, did you get coached? Did somebody say, hey, Marissa, you got to think about making money doing this? Not really. I've just seen other people on Instagram doing it. And it kind of just inspired me that I could do this for more than just myself. Yeah. Well, I guess, you know, it's interesting because we are our biggest critics, aren't we? So if you can refinish furniture for your own home, you probably thought, I I can do this and sell and make some money off of it. 
Absolutely. So you live in Canada. What uh, part of Canada? I'm in Ontario, about an hour and a half away from Toronto. Okay. Now, do you find that, uh, like, locating pieces, has that gotten harder, especially since the pandemic? Are you able to find what you need? There's definitely a lot out there. Um, some of it's just not great. you got to know what you're looking for. But I'm lucky I live in a rural area um, where there's lots of Mennonite-made furniture locally. Oh, wow. So a lot of the pieces are solid wood and from this area. Yeah. Do you uh, find, ever find curbside finds? Oh, yes. Really? I love the curbside finds. That fascinates me. I've said this before on the podcast because we live uh, out in the country and, you know, I, you just don't see things out uh, on the at the curb. We, we don't even have a curb, <laughs> so maybe that's why. <laughs> <laughs> so I did. There Occasionally you'll find somebody throw something out. And oftentimes, usually when it's that bad, it's uh, not even really worth uh, trying to do anything with. So. Well, speaking of finding furniture, um, so there's the process of finding the pieces, but then after you get the piece home, there's always the process of like cleaning things out, doing those thorough cleans. And so my big question is, any interesting items that you have discovered in your pieces uh, since you've been doing this, I mean, even from when you started it for yourself? I have found so many little things, um, usually tucked behind drawers, things that get lost. People don't realize they're even there when they donate or throw out the item. Um, pictures, different newspaper articles, um, just all sorts of little knickknacks, receipts. Yeah. But it's really interesting because some of the things are quite old, like newspaper articles mm -hmm. about the family who owned it. And it's just really neat to see kind of a little history of the piece. Yeah. Well, it sounds like neat stuff. Things besides old chewing gum, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, I don't think, uh, I don't know if you're like me, but uh, if we if we get rid of something, uh, that's that's kind of a fear that I have is like that's, that's something that we value that we haven't seen in a long time, maybe that was tucked away, <laughs> will get like taken away, you know? And so when I'm, when we're going through stuff, it's like, even like clothing, uh, I'm always like, let's check the pockets. Let's make sure there's nothing <laughs> in the pockets, you know, let's check the drawers. Is there anything up in there? So I don't think anybody would find anything, uh, at least for me, because I'm so thorough in checking it, but uh, I guess not everybody does that. Yeah. Do you, now when you find these little things, mementos, uh, do you uh, have a place that you keep them or do you attach them to the piece? Like what's your process there? Um, some of the things I've kept, a couple I've actually returned. Um, we had picked up a bedroom set from a house that was going to be demolished. The family was selling it. And there was a beautiful wedding picture tucked in the back. Mm. So because I knew where they lived, we'd picked it up from the house. I was able to return it to them. Um, but for the most part, I have just a little drawer that I keep in my shop of unique finds. Yeah. Now, when you took it back to them, were they like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that was left in there? Or were they like, oh, that was part of it. We don't want it anymore. <laughs> it was cute because they all kind of quickly reminisced. They were excited to see it. They knew exactly which family member it was in the picture. Um, uh, and I was just happy to get it back to them. Yeah. Now, so when you pick up a piece from somebody, 
Um, just, you know, because a lot of this is about like finding these pieces like you're talking about, but it's also trying to figure out the history of the piece. Do you ever ask these people, is there anything you know about this piece that you're getting rid of that you can share with me to learn more about it? I haven't. Most of my pieces come from auctions or thrift stores mm. or the curb. <laughs> so yeah. there's usually not the owner there to talk to. Yeah. So that makes it a little bit difficult. Um, so you have a piece that you found some info on and did some research. So tell us about the piece and then what you discovered. So I got a dresser from the curb and I was cleaning it. Um, and inside the one drawer, there was a tag on it that had the furniture company's name. And what interested me was the phone number on it. It was only five digits. So I knew at that point it had to be an older piece. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did hop on Google and did a little bit of research. And I love Google for that because it brought up old newspaper articles and all sorts of things that I was able to scour through. And it turned out this furniture company was owned by two brothers. They were known as teenage entrepreneurs because they started the company when they were 16 and 18 years old in the early 1930s. Wow, that is so cool. (laughs) So what was the name of the furniture company? It was Bullis Brothers Furniture. And they actually did so well, they ended up buying most of that block in Kitchener. Um, And they had department stores and an electronics store and all sorts of things. Um, They were very well known in the area at that time. Yeah. So um, were they making the furniture? Did they hire people to make furniture? What was with respect to the piece that you found? Do you know anything about that? I could not find a maker stamp on the piece, so I'm not sure who it came from, but I had talked to my grandpa who lives locally and he said they were known as a high-end furniture store. Mm, And I'm sure when you were refinishing it, that maybe hopefully confirmed that it was made really well, so it's high-end. Yes, it is solid wood and was... It's one of those pieces that I didn't have to fix anything. I just mm-hmm. needed to update its look. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the piece. What uh, what what uh, is the piece and what did you do to it? It's a tall boy dresser. It has very deep drawers. Um, it's almost, I'd say it's like five feet tall. It's quite large. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I wanted to keep the wood on it, but it was a little too damaged, unfortunately probably why it was at the curb. So I was able to give it a fresh coat of paint and I put a little design on the side, cleaned up some of the new hardware, and then the two top drawers, I switched out the hardware for something different just to help with the look that I'd given it. Mm -hmm. And it came together really well. Wow. Yeah, I'm eager to see it myself. Now, did you sell it or did you keep it for yourself? I haven't sold it yet. I normally, as soon as I finish something... I'm ready to post it, but I just haven't, I don't know. I I really like this one. It's unique. So I'm having a little trouble selling it, but I don't think my husband's going to let me bring it in the house. (laughs) (laughs) Now, is part of the reason why you're having a hard time selling it because of what you've discovered about it? Yeah. I just think it's got such a unique history. We have another piece actually sitting in my living room. It's a um, vintage vanity and mm-hmm. I was able to pull the date off the back and it's from the early 1930s. And I just, I love it. It doesn't go with the style of our house at all, but it's just such a unique piece. And I sit there and I wonder who owned this, who mm-hmm. used to look in this mirror, where, where has it been? And 
I just, I find it so fascinating with these old pieces. I know, I know exactly. In fact, it's, it's, there's two aspects of it. It's like finding out the history of it, like as far as who made it, uh, where did it come from, uh, what period of time was it made. But it's also what you're talking about as well as where was it? What home was it in? And just, I love the way you just said that because it's like, who, who looked at it? Who enjoyed it? Who looked in the mirror? Like, that's like, what are the stories that could be told of where it resided for how many years? And so that's that aspect of history too. You know, the sweet stories of the homes that they came from. And uh, so that's uh, so, so cool to learn that. You know, I would just make this suggestion to you and to others. Maybe you've already thought of that would be to when you, when you find out about the history of a piece, maybe even do just a little paragraph write up about it. And, um, you know, you could even attach it to the back of the piece, you know, just so that it's not only as we always, always, always emphasize here that every piece that you all refinish is unique. It's exclusive. It's one of a kind. Uh, it's your artistic stamp on it, but it would also have that history with it too, you know, to, to go with it. And I would think it would make it even more valuable, more desirable. Absolutely. I always say that I wish every piece came with a history letter. Like I, I find it so fascinating yeah. to know these pieces have been around two, three times as long as I have. <laughs> I know, I know several generations back. And then, and then to think about what you guys are doing by uh, refinishing them so that many more generations can use them and enjoy them. Exactly. It gives me such joy to know that these pieces that somebody especially the curbside ones somebody was going to throw out we were able to fix and renew and now someone can enjoy them for many years to come yeah well it's just like you said earlier that's the hard part though is you do all that work and you get attached to it don't you and then it's like you don't want to part with it oh definitely <laughs> well marissa thanks for taking the time to come on and tell us about your own experiences and what you've discovered Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. So I, before you go, I want you to share your Instagram account so our listeners can follow you. It is She Flips Canada. All right. Now, are you on Facebook or just Instagram? Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. All the three primary ones, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we hope it inspires others to dig into the history of their pieces as much as possible. And listening friends, if you have an interesting find or story to share, we are all ears. Send us a DM on our IG account, Zebra Painting, or send me an email at lane at enjoyzebra.com. Thanks again, Marissa. Thank you so much. Today's refinishing tip comes from Sarah with Olive and Fern. Hey everyone, it's Sarah from Olive and Fern. Today I wanted to share with you one of my biggest struggles in my refinishing business, custom work. I'm now over four years into my business and I still struggle with finding the right balance for myself when it comes to custom refinishing. In the beginning, I was taking on as many client-owned pieces as I was my own, if not more sometimes. It's guaranteed income as opposed to doing your own pieces with no guarantee when or if they will sell. One thing I didn't really occur to me before this business venture was exactly how difficult and expensive it is to store furniture. So taking on lots of custom work seemed like a really great way to keep money coming in and not having precious space taken up. There always seems to be a good demand for it, and a large majority of people are so great and fun to work with, and some even let you take the reins creatively, which I absolutely love. Over time, 
However, I noticed I was losing motivation to work on the custom pieces and would put off working on them, resulting in longer turnaround times. I then found myself really dreading doing custom work, and I had to take a step back and analyze what exactly was happening. I realized the passion and joy I experienced from furniture design was fading because I was doing so much custom work and it was stifling my creativity. Most people have an idea of what they'd like and there's not much room for the creative aspect of the work. At that point, it became mostly labor to me, just another job to do. I recently decided I definitely have to get that spark back and take a break from custom work. My plan for the future, once I'm done catching up on my currently booked pieces, is to consider having people apply online for custom work. That way I'd be able to choose which projects I'm really excited to work on and definitely require a level of creative freedom with it. Also a big thing would be to make sure that I'm not taking on more than let's say six to eight pieces a year. If you're driven to this industry by the love of the art and design, my tip is to not let your passion turn into something that is no longer stimulating you creatively. Another important tip I have is having a contract to present, go over and sign for any client having custom furniture done. There are so many things you need to have set in writing and having one will save you many headaches and possible loss of time and money. If you're interested in seeing or using my contract, I'm more than happy to share it. Just send me a DM. Uh, Thanks so much for listening to my tip and thanks so much to Zebra and Lane for the opportunity to share it. You can find me on Instagram. My handle is at underscore olive and fern underscore and the and is spelled out. Thank you, Sarah. Tremendous insight and great guidance on making sure that creativity and passion isn't lost. Periodically here in the podcast, we'll be showcasing question of the week and we'll have a few refinishers to answer the question. This week's question is, what interesting items have you found in your old furniture pieces? I'm sure many of you could share all kinds of interesting finds, and we think you will enjoy hearing what your fellow refinishers have discovered as well. Hi, this is Anne Michelle from Mini Design Ashburn, and the most interesting thing I found in a furniture piece was actually a handwritten ledger on the side of drawers from a piece from the early 1900s. And on the piece, on the left-hand column, was someone's name, and then on the right side, it was monetary amount. So this went on for about 20 rows or so, and I was torn between removing it or keeping it, but I ended up removing it. Hi, Chloe here from Chloe Kempster Design. So interesting things I found in furniture. I wish I could tell you that I'd found some money, but unfortunately not. The best thing that I have found, the most interesting thing, would be inside a bench. So it had an upholstered top. I wanted to replace the fabric. And underneath, I found it had been filled with old clothes. And within the old clothes was some old underwear. So... That was interesting. <laughs> hey, this is Eva from Ekesterna. I have, believe it or not, found old teeth with gold fillings in a jar in a gorgeous antique dresser that I purchased at an online auction. I was just so happy I was able to snag that beautiful dresser, but very surprised to find gold in one of the drawers. It actually turned out the gold itself was worth 10 times more than what I paid for the dresser. 
Hi everyone, this is Summer from Pinewood Charm, and I would have to say the most interesting thing that I've ever found in a piece of furniture was really gross, actually. Um, I found a whole set of clipped, let's say fingernails, could be toenails, ew, in a vanity drawer. Um, so yeah, yuck. Thanks to Anne Michelle, Ava, Summer, and Chloe for sharing a few of their discoveries. Although, Summer, I think we can all say there is no envy there on your discovery of the fingernails or toenails. Ugh. (laughs) Why would anyone keep those in the drawer? If you have a question you would like asked among your refinishing peers, send me an email at lane at enjoyzebra.com. If we answer your question on the podcast, you'll receive a free zebra paintbrush. Accolades is defined as an acknowledgement of merit. Welcome to one of our newer podcast segments called, Well, Accolades. We wanted to give refinishers the opportunity to give accolades to their fellow refinishers that they admire for their extraordinary refinishing skills and hard work. This week's accolades are given by Autumn with Braid Over Pieces. Hi, y'all. I'm Autumn with Braid Over Pieces, and today I want to give accolades to Walesa from A Life Refurbished. I first started following her because of her beautiful pieces and creativity and styles. She's willing to try different colors and textures, and then I fell in love with her fun stories and educational videos that she shares. But another reason that I believe she deserves all the accolades is because recently she stepped out of her comfort zone at the Haven Conference, and she taught a course on furniture refinishing. She helped to teach DIYers attending from all over the United States and actually from the world what we do as refinishers. So thank you, Walesa, for being willing to face your fears and teach others about the amazing skill that is furniture refinishing. You did awesome. Thanks, Autumn. And accolades, Walesa. Boy, it is hot here in the south and it is quite humid, but it's summer and that is a good thing. Well, with August comes the continuation of the heat and in many places, August will be the hottest month of the year. We thought it would be appropriate for the August Zebra Review Contest theme to be summer colors. That means anything you paint in the month of August in yellows and or oranges can be entered. The entire piece does not have to be in those colors, but they do need to be the predominant colors on your piece. Tag your summer color pieces that were refinished from August 1st through August 31st, 2022 with hashtag the zebra review and make sure you include the at the beginning of the hashtag. Our four judges will be choosing three winners. Our judges are Jenna Perfectly Imperfect Furniture, Katie Cloud of Katie Cloud, Katie Scott of Salvage by K. Scott, and Lawrence Regina of Portland Road Studio. Our sponsors this month include Lily Moon Paint, the Lawless Hardware, Surf Prep Sanding, and Zebra Paintbrushes. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Zebras Before and After Furniture Refinishing Podcast. Today's episode, along with information about today's guest, is also featured on enjoyzebra.com under the podcast tab at the bottom. Your comments and suggestions for future episodes are always welcome, and we encourage you to share them by sending your emails to me at laneball at enjoyzebra.com. Thanks for listening, stay safe, and happy refinishing.